All right. We're so glad to have our time again in God's Word to be able to study and learn together. And we want to encourage you to take out your Bibles as uh, we invite uh, Pastor McDougall back up here. Let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you very, very much. Please turn with me this evening to Galatians chapter 5. As we continue, as we've seen already, we start out with the church as God meant it to be. As first of all, it must be a Bible-centered church with a Bible-centered life. It must be a servant-oriented church with a servant-oriented life. See, tonight it must be a love-driven church. And tomorrow we will see us a divinely empowered church with a divinely empowered life. So tonight we come to Galatians, a great, great, great passage. And we talk about God's desire for His church that it be one with a love-driven life. As we come to this section, then this is the section we want to look at together. Chapter, actually we're going to look at chapter 6, but we start in chapter 5, because must always give the context, must always give the setting. As we said to you before, we talk about the pyramid, and our question with regard to this is as we look at this passage, what is the principle that God is teaching us? We want to look at the context, study it, and then the question is, what is God saying to me? What is God saying to you? And again, I remind you, I, and this, this verse is an amazing one. Not to go beyond what Gegrapti stands written. This is God's word. Never beyond it. It isn't this word plus anything. It is just this word finish. Uh, That is huge because all of us, like I say, we come with things that we're used to, the baggage that we're used to, and uh, it just is important to us that we understand everything we do is the Word of God, the Word of God alone. What is God saying to us as we come to this passage? We looked at this earlier to Him, and to Him alone be the power forever and ever. Amen. It is absolutely essential that we understand the only center of power in the church is centered in God himself, not in you, whoever you may be, not in any committee, is centered only in God. If we start with the principles of God's word, it is God's power that's operative. When we start with our own ability and expertise, it is our power that is operative. And one of the things you look in Scripture, again, God is forever bringing people to the place they understand that it is His power that must be operative in our lives. As we look at this together, uh, we want to take one more step. God's power, operating through God's Spirit, produces God's result. By the way, that is the whole message of the book of Acts, but we're not going to the book of Acts this evening, only going to stay here. I remind you again, it is God's church. It's not yours, it's not mine, it's His church. And by the same token, it's God's church. We are God's children. And therefore, whatever principles apply to the church, apply to us individually, and uh, it goes the other way. So, it is God's church. 
We get in this endless debate of who rules the church. God alone rules the church. He does it through his word, through his God-gifted people, and through his God-ordained circumstances. But our concern, again, is that we focus on the word of God and its directive to us from this passage and what God is again saying to us. I remind you, this is where Jesus' ministry ends right here. These two other aspects are not wrong. By the way, it's interesting. It is true. Someone has said it is very true. Christ left behind no program, not even one first kingdom. He didn't. Did not, did not, did not. Principles he left behind. Responsibilities left behind. Not a program he left behind. But we create them. And they're not evil in themselves. Just understand them. But just understand where they come from as you fight over programs that are so crucial to your own soul. So here we are. What is the principle God would speak to us about this evening? As you look at this, the argument of the book, you start out with this. And by, and by the way, as I look at the text in front of me, it is the interesting part of this. The first word is in the freedom in the Greek text. It just is. Freedom is the first word. The, the important part of this is freedom. The nice thing about Greek, it is so nice. They can shift the words around any way they want to because, see, they have case endings. We don't, so therefore we have to stick with order. So they put what word they want first or in the middle or at the end. Wherever they want to make an emphasis, that's what they do. So the big thing about this is freedom. Just understand, there is freedom. Uh, This is so crucial that Christ saved us for freedom. And that's how it begins here. Freedom is the issue. And notice the statement here. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. By the way, I will not... There are things that I choose not to do. They're not driven by a specific verse of Scripture. I won't even discuss some of these things with my own kids. There's a reason, by the way. Because I don't want them feeling an imposition about something that I feel... I I watch my father. It's interesting. You talked about playing cards. My father was saved from a background where that was a part of his life, and he would never touch playing cards, any kind of playing cards at all. But my dear mother could play with him. See, it was all right. I mean, it was just a beautiful thing for me to see. My father's personal conviction, right? That did not, and it wasn't like my father and my mother, she didn't do playing cards, but that wasn't the issue. But she could play card games. He wouldn't play a card game. He just wouldn't do it. But he didn't make an imposition upon her or upon us. And it was, it's a beautiful thing for me to watch because you may have something that you feel that you should not do. The Bible does not say thou shalt not play cards. I don't even know the name. says Bible doesn't say thou shalt not play hearts. It doesn't say thou shalt not play rook. I think that's the game. The Bible says it doesn't say thou shalt not play rook. The Bible doesn't say any of these kinds of things. By the way, there was a missionary. He loved this carom game, okay? He, could, he would never play a game that he couldn't win in. Until two of us beat him at a game that he thought he was unbeatable and he'd never play us again. But, but you know, we're playing cameras and I says, you know, this is just like pool. Oh, that bothered him. I said, see, you're trying to bump this off. It's like billiards kind of stuff. And that bothered him. Just, just keep billiards out of it, pool out of it. I am playing, you know. So the whole point of this, you see, it's interesting what we do on these restrictions we place. Now, you may choose to have those restrictions, but don't impose them upon somebody else. And don't let yourself be bound ever again with the yoke of slavery. 
And what I say to you is I began there with the five don'ts, whatever the world they are. By the way, I was at Q&A in New Zealand. They said, you know, when I ask you whether it's right or wrong to drink alcoholic beverages, say, I says, you know what's funny? I says, alcohol touched my lips for, I think, the second or third time in my life this morning at communion. Now, it's sort of funny. And, and, but, but the interesting part of all of this, you see, as much as I don't touch the stuff, will never touch the stuff. Let me tell you something. The Bible does not say, thou shalt not. And maybe it bothers you. I say that. I don't choose to do it. I will never choose to do it. But don't make the Bible say what it doesn't say. They say, well, the stuff that Jesus had and made you see couldn't make you drunk, then why in the world did they talk about the fact that it's this early in the morning and you say, what in the world? You see, the point of all of this, just be careful with what you do. I don't care for you to drink. I don't care to drink. But don't be saying stuff the Bible doesn't say. Just don't say it. Stick with where it is. Now, if you stay too long with a bottle, then there's something we need to discuss. Are you with me? Now, I'm not suggesting you go home and do it. But, uh, by the way, there was a church. I loved what they did. They decided not to use any like, thing like wine at communion just because they were afraid it might offend somebody else. Not because they felt it was wrong personally. This is good. Not, not good that you choose to do that, but good that that was their motivation for it. Now, I don't want to get off on that, okay? That's not the point of all of this. Just be careful you don't go beyond Scripture. You with me? Don't make it say what it doesn't say. What I say in class always, say everything the passage says, but don't say anything it doesn't say. Stick with the text. That's it. Okay. Now, I, I stepped in a puddle I probably shouldn't have stepped in, but I did anyhow only to say to you, listen to me carefully. I started ministry with all these don'ts. Somehow the Holy Spirit wasn't enough, so we had to help him out. Um... Don't, 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 don't. Do what you choose to do before God. Choose not to do certain things. It's a practice I've had since I was 19. It isn't a practice any of my kids have. But it's a commitment I made at the age of 19. It's a commitment still today. Personal. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt. And so that's where it is, you see. There was a commitment I made personally before God. I won't even tell you what it was before I ever found the wife that God gave me. I made that commitment. I won't tell my kids. I won't tell anybody because then my kids would say, this is what I need to do because it's what Dad did. No, you do what you need to do because God impresses it upon your soul. Because the Bible doesn't tell me thou shalt do this or that in that given area. Are you with me? You with me? You just hear me carefully. Freedom is the issue here. Freedom is the issue. And I've watched people try to turn this freedom into license. That's wrong too. We'll see that in this passage. But don't diminish freedom, my friend. As much as I'm probably more restrictive than any of you in this room. I probably am. But I will preach this message as strong as I can. Not because I want the freedom to do, but I have the freedom, say. Just telling you, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. <laughs> I stop there. It's just, it's an incredible passage. 
It's an incredible statement. Freedom is the issue. It's, it's where it is. It's the first word in the verse that's meant to be there. Don't make it otherwise. Yeah. By the way, I do drink a cup of coffee a year. Well, maybe once every three years. Just so I can't say I don't do it, see. But I'll go buy the best cup of coffee I can for my dear wife, okay? That I will do. Um, by the way, I was in San Francisco, so I got a list of the best places to, for coffee. After about the fifth place, we couldn't find enough restrooms fast enough. I, did, I tried to take care of the lady, okay? But, but so you see, here in life, okay, this is where life is, you understand. Don't get into this business. You may choose to do or not to do, but don't impose it upon somebody else unless it's a specific statement from Scripture. You with me? That's where it is. Okay. I must move on, but I need to tell you. So verse 1 of chapter 5 actually is a summation of verses, chapters 3 and 4. It really is what it is. But by the same token, it kicks off chapters 5 and 6. It really belongs to the previous section, but certainly it opens the door to the next. And 4, let me remind you, Hebrew thought. They move from this thought to this thought to this thought. Ever remember that and you'll understand Scripture far better. So this thought that ends chapters 3 and 4 kicks off chapters 5 and 6, and that's where we are. Okay, so I must move on, or we'll not get done, but we need to get done. So it tells us why he saved us. He saved us for freedom. It was for freedom he saved us. And he tells us what to do with this freedom. Stay in it. Live in it. Rejoice in it. Exalt in it. Now, now with this in mind, though, the interesting part of this... And I take you a step further here because you'll see something. I, I love this passage because he starts with this. But now look at this statement that he makes. As you look in this passage in chapter 5 and verse 6. I'm going to start with verse 5. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision... See, you can circumcise yourself. It doesn't mean anything. You can be uncircumcised. It doesn't mean anything. I am proud of the fact I'm circumcised. I'm proud of the fact I'm not. You see, it doesn't mean anything. What means something is luck. Faith working through love. But I love that. Faith working through love. Faith working through love. Don't, don't miss that because he's talking about the freedom here. But it's an amazing part of this. He's talking about grace. He's talking about faith. And by the way, in these verses, look at how he has the hope referred to in this passage, the grace referred to in this passage, faith referred to in this passage, love referred to in this passage. All of those great things, but faith, hope, and love are here, very clearly here, right here in this immediate context of 5 and 6. Now, watch this now, because now we're, we're moving on to faith operating through love. But he's going to leave that for a moment and take us then down further, you see. See, faith alone saves, but that faith that saves is not alone. That, that's the big part of this. And so operating out of this faith is this manifestation of love. Now, notice then faith, hope, and love in verses 5 and 6. And let's move on. Now, but notice in 5, 5, 13 to 14, you are called to freedom, brethren. No, 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 but hold it. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, here's love again, serve one another. See how much love is in here? For the whole law is fulfilled in this one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. So, the introduction of love in verse 6 
The reintroduction of this love in verses 13, 14 and following. So it is with this in mind that love is introduced here. Now watch this because we have freedom, don't be bound, faith working through love, through love serve one another. Negatively now you see freedom is not serving one's own desire, but freedom is serving or selflessly serving others. That's what it is. We saw this even as we looked at the passage earlier that we looked at in chapter 5 of First Peter. Now, with this in mind, Slavery to sin. I love this. Slavery to sin is involuntary and miserable. It is. You can't help what you're doing. It's a miserable life to live. Slavery to law is voluntary and burdensome. <laughs> we're camping at a spot years ago, and I said to my kids, we're going to move Sunday morning because we had to. It was a deadline Saturday. So they said, we're going to church today. I said, oh, I said, yes, we are. And they said, do we have to? I said, no, we never have to go to church. We get to go to church. We go to church Sunday morning, even on vacation. It's not, not, it's not a legalist. I will not let it become a legalistic thing. I choose to go to church Sunday morning. There's nothing that says I should go to church again Sunday night. Nothing in the Bible. There's nothing that says you should go to church Wednesday night. My dear wife says, but you know, my hair's a mess. I says, nobody will know you. We got there and somebody had known her since she was a kid was in church that day in a small little town way up in Northern California. But the kids got home. They said, Dad, can we go back tonight? Dad, can we go back Wednesday night? It's amazing, actually. I will not let it become legalistic. Something you choose to do, not something you feel legalistically bound to do. Be careful. Slavery to law is voluntary and it's, it's burdensome. It's terrible. But look at this. Slavery to others is voluntary and joyful. See? You're giving yourself for other people and you understand you will sacrifice things that you would love to do for the sake of others that will not offend. By the way, I grew up in Africa. Who cares whether they have Christmas trees or not? They're no big deal. But we didn't have Christmas trees. Why? Because the Africans worship trees, see? All we'd have to do is bring any kind of a tree into the house. And my, this, this is not going to work, see? And, but see, Christmas trees don't matter or anything. It's not that kind of stuff. But see, there's stuff you can give up that doesn't matter for the sake of others. See, that's what life is. And it's not, I, I hear people, it's wrong to have a Christmas tree. Okay, get that way if you want to. I don't care. It's no big deal whether you have one or don't have one. But, you know, the other side to that is, can you defer for the sake of others, not for the sake of some legalistic boundary that you have set for yourself, say? You want to do it? Okay. Listen, the whole Christmas Day business isn't biblical either. Okay, you with me? Okay, anyhow, whatever. Enough of that. I'm not going to go there, but we'll stop at that. All right. So slavery to others is voluntary and joyful. Now. But then notice that through love serve one another. But then notice as you go down further in this passage, see, after introducing this, now notice what he says in the context of false, you know the passage so well. In verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Now, now let me tell you something. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit is love. Sometime in your own time. Go to 1 Corinthians 13, and you will see all of the things that follow love in this passage exemplified by love in that passage. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, all this comes out of love. Love is the overriding feature here out of which everything else in this passage operates. 
So you see, he's following this. Love is the big issue here as you follow through here now. With regard to this then, when you come to chapter 6, just so you understand, chapter 6 is nothing more, I don't want to say that's an unfortunate way to put it, but I'll say it this way, is nothing more than an illustration of the life of love, exemplified by the child of God and the church of God. See, we started with 5, 6 through love, you know, faith operating through love. We saw in 5, 13 to 14, the fact that you're not you know, doing it for yourself and using it for that, but through love serving one another. We saw then we come down here that the fruit of the Spirit is love and all of these things that grow out of love. And now you come here and you say, okay, how do we see this fleshed out in life? And he says, let me illustrate it for you. By the way, that's why I tell you stay in the context. Don't go somewhere else. See, hear me. If you go here and here and here and put together a message, that is a message you have created. If you stay in the context, it's a message he has created. You want to see the flow of love through here, and now you see the expression of love here. So I bring you to chapter 6. It's the expression of love in the child of God. And here we come. As you look at this, then the call to freedom. By the way, there are two things that fight against this freedom. Legalism and the works of the flesh. It's true. It's interesting, though, with regard to this, because they are, dis- they are opposed to each other. Both of them are opposed to freedom. Legalism is opposed to freedom. Works the flesh are opposed to freedom. And, and both of them here. But call to freedom. Two things preserve this freedom. Mutual love, 5, 6, 13, and 14, and the Holy Spirit. And both of those two are intertwined with each other. So since we are led by the Spirit, chapter 5, verse 16, let us walk by the Spirit. And you see the great truth of this in this passage. And then it comes down here in chapter 5 and verse 22, use 26 and then 22, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And so we have it here. So now let's look at this passage without the context. What are we supposed to do? Now, now I told you this, what was it this morning? I did. But listen, when you're studying a passage... Find out where the key to the passage is. See, because if you don't do that, you may miss the whole point of the passage. You could preach verse, 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 verse like this and miss the whole point of the passage. In fact, the matter is, in this passage, it's interesting. I, I have seen people with tape messages, and it's in 5, 1 to 5 the first week, and 5, 6 to 10 the next week here. You know the problem with that is? The overriding message of this passage is in verse 10. It's the very end of the passage. This isn't the only place Paul does this, by the way. But I'm the only place I'm going to allude to here. Um, but let's go. We, because we, we get carried away, we'll never get back here. Let's go here. The, the key to this whole passage is found in verse 10. And it's an incredible statement. The key to it all. Notice the statement in verse 10. So then, see, he's concluding this section. He's, by the way, you know what they say about a good speech. You tell people where you're going to go, then you go there, then you tell them where you've been. The only thing is Paul didn't tell us where he's going to go. He just tells us the end where he's been. So he's summing it up for us, okay? So then, the conclusion of verses 1 and 10 is simply this. By the way, I just, just, I want to check something for fun. I am looking at the Greek text and it has it all as one paragraph. I'm looking at the English text I use and it has 1 to 5 and 6 to 10. See, I'm just telling you the unfortunate thing about this. You should just understand this is the overriding figure is in verse 10. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. Now, the word that is good here, there are two words for good. This word is agathos here, if you will. 
contrasted to Colossus, which is also in this passage, by the way. Also in this passage. Let me tell you what the difference is. If there's just a basic difference, okay, it's somewhat superficial, but basic. Colossus has to do with something that is intrinsically good or intrinsically beautiful. My mother loved roses, and everywhere my father went, he'd plant roses for my mother. We had roses in Africa. Wherever we went, we had roses. Roses are, by their very nature, intrinsically beautiful. But see, agathos has to do something that is beneficial. It is not intrinsically in itself good or bad. It, it, it is the context will get you to tell you whether it is or not. There is just a fun story. The little uh, boy, probably a boy scout who wanted to do his good deed, and he sees an old elderly lady on the street corner, so he takes her by the hand and takes her over to the other side of the street. See, when he gets over there, she, she pats him on the head and she says, Thank you, Sonny, but I didn't want to cross the street. Now, 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 you see, there are times when you do things for people and they're not necessarily beneficially good. We're talking about beneficially good things here. Things that in the circumstance in which they're done are beneficial to the person for whom you are doing them. And the context changes. It's not like we can sit here and say, this is always going to be beneficially good. It may not be. I had a roommate... Um, who didn't, I don't know what time went to sleep. Could have been one in the morning, could have been two. I don't know what time went to sleep. I go to bed early, get up early. He woke me up at two in the morning to share a spiritual secret with me. My friend, that's about time for me to get up, and it's not time for me to wake up and, to, and hear anybody's spiritual secret. See, that may be, but that's not beneficially good to my soul. I've got to tell you that for a fact, all right? And this many years later, I remember it. And I've been married 45 years, and this was years before that. So, so, so here in this business, 44 I should say. So here as you look at this business, it's interesting. We're talking about do what is beneficially good to all men. Now, now, I want you to do this because you understand in this passage, the major emphasis will be what we do in the church. But the summary statement is do what is beneficially good to all men. Not only believers, but unbelievers. Now, may I just do this for a while? I want to talk about the unbeliever business for a bit. They tell us that after we become a Christian, after three years, we've lost all of our unsafe friends virtually. Now, let me tell you something. You know why the woman at the well, why it's so exciting? She didn't do anything spectacular. All she did was bring her friends to Jesus, and all of her friends were unsafe friends. That's just what a new believer is able to do. But see, it is so easy for us to be so involved in the church. That's why I tell you, I tried to find ways to reach out to a lost world. Through my kids, I was able to touch a lost world in a huge way. When they all moved out of the house now, you see, I have to find creative ways to do this. Because everybody I'm identified with is a believer, so I have to find them. When I fly down to California a week from Monday, I'll be down there, fly down Saturday. I'll minister Sunday a week from Monday morning. Before the sun gets up, I will meet a Catholic buddy, and I just met him out there. I went out there one day, they put me on with him, he loves to play with me. And I tell you what, this Catholic Irishman and me, this Protestant Scotsman, we have a good time together. And I pray for the salvation of his soul. But you see, the trouble is you've got to find ways to touch an unsaved world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but hear me, there are some easy ways to do so. 
So Jesus addressed one. He talks about the Good Samaritan. Now, now you know the story just for a bit, huh? It was a preacher went down the street first, and then a youth director went down the street next. I know it's a priest and a Levite, but they, they get there, and they see this guy at the side of the road, and they go to the other side, and they pass him up, right? Well, the preacher did it because he had an important meeting that he didn't want to miss, and he'd, he'd been late last week and didn't have a good tee-off time, so he had to get there this time. And, and the youth guy had been telling everybody, you got to make it to Denny's on time, and you see, if I stop here, I can't do it. It's a contractor on his way to work. He stops. I say that for this reason, because I taught at Biola for many years, or Talbot Theological Seminary, but it's Biola campus. I was right across the street at City Hall on my trusty little VW, and it wouldn't start. Now, my trusty little VW, if it rolled it down the hill and popped the clutch, it would start, but I rolled down the hill and popped the clutch, and it's not starting. And it's a rainy day. And I know there are Christians galore. I'm right next to the campus, but it's a muddy field between me and it. So I'm not going that way, right? So I'm parked there trying to get this thing started. And I know that there are Christians galore, and they drive right by me. And finally a contractor starts and says, let me push it. Didn't work. He says, I'll pull you home. I says, I know you got to get to work. He says, that's all right. I can do this, see. Think to myself, I was going to preach one Sunday. In First Baptist Church of Hollywood, many, many years ago, when I first preached there, I'm sitting there and I hear this major organ playing, okay, and I'm sitting on the platform, and then I hear this clump, and this clump, and I turn around, and these are the senior saints trying to get up in the choir loft to sing the choir that morning. I tell you what, they were all senior saints. But they were touching that Hollywood community like you wouldn't believe. Not a young one in the midst. But, but the exciting part of this, I, but it was exciting ministry. But I'm driving there on a Sunday night to preach, okay? And it's just a few minutes before church is starting. I know, you see, because it's the old way, they're going to sing 25 minutes of songs before I have to get up there. And I see this old man, okay, <laughs> trying to push this old car, those kind that were made out of metal, trying to push it off of Sunset onto the side street. And I take it his wife couldn't drive because she's sitting over there on the other side. She's not doing anything. He's trying to push and steer by himself. And I know what I'm supposed to do. But I tell myself I need to get to church on time. I did wrong. I, did, I didn't help him. Didn't help him. It won't happen again, I guarantee you, but I didn't help him. Better I came into church late than to leave that man pushing that car by himself. So my kids knew that. When I saw two nuns by this side of the road, I turned off the freeway. By the time I got there, somebody was helping them. But I'm not passing somebody again. It's interesting. I put Romans on here. You know what it says in Romans? You can look this up for yourself, but it's interesting. It says, he who loves his neighbor. You know what the word neighbor, just, just, and I, I must move on with this, but it's interesting. The word neighbor is ton heteron. Now, I'll tell you why that's important. It's because th- this word right here is another, but here's the article here. It is a particular other different kind of person. Now, now you say, why, why is that significant? Because it's not just a particular one. It is a specific person that God has placed in your life. They didn't just accidentally get there. They were placed there by God. They're the Ethiopian eunuchs that you're supposed to get up in the chariot with. They were designed by God to be there. 
So only to say to you, Jesus tells this whole story. He says, which one's the neighbor? See, it's not the two preachers who went by and didn't stop. It was the man who took this man and put him on a donkey and took him in somewhere and says, I'll pay the bill. That, that's the neighbor. There's a church in Northern California. Some of you knew who was in the community? They cook something in a dish that has to be returned and take it down to their house. They're not going to bother them. They say, listen, we live in that White House down the street. If you need any help, you just call. We'll be there, see? But they know they have to deliver the dish back, see? One of the elders in the church when I was there years ago was a man who was led to the Lord because somebody came at a time of need and said, I'll be there if you need me. And because of this, the door was open for the gospel and he would say, I must move on. But I want to tell you, there's that. Let me take you another our family. You know what Jesus says, honor your father and your mother. And Mark 7, he says to them, he says, the trouble is, you know what you guys are saying? You're saying my gifts are all dedicated to God, therefore I don't have any money for my retired parents. Do you know, I realize that culturally you do differently than many others, and that's good, but... There was a survey taken, and the younger generation in this country would rather pay the government to take care of their parents than to be responsible to doing it to, to do it themselves. I've always been committed to the fact that I am going to make sure that there was room for the in-laws to come in and be there, or my mother to come in and be there, whoever in the world it was. Have to be. Only to tell you something, you see, Jesus puts the families in here and says, you can't be saying this, I'm dedicated to God, therefore I have no time for you. So that was Jesus' statement. But do good to the family of God. Notice the statement here. Do good to all men, but especially to those who are the household of faith. Now you say, how does this work? Now here, let me go back to verse 1 and we'll study this verse by verse quickly. First of all, how do I do good to the family of God? He's going to define it, verses 1 and following. Now what you have here is interesting because the word care is the interesting part. And, And by the way, I want to talk to you about this because it's interesting. He cares for you as this word melee, okay, just to say to you. In the passage in First Timothy, when it talks about elders, he says, How shall they care for the church of God? And this epi on the front of it, which is emphatic. How shall they emphatically care for his church? We're talking about this passage about care. Caring for people. That's what it is. I take you the pyramid principles and then people. People are more important than anything else, my friend, as you look at the order of things beyond the principles of Scripture. Three ways are described. Each has a command and each has a caution. So let's look at them together. Here we go. How do we do this? First of all, start with me in verse 1. Brethren. Now, you know what's nice here? We're talking about people who are believers will come to this. But it's interesting, the verb that is here. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. The verb here, we, saw, we talked about earlier, is the word katartidzo. Let me tell you what it is. It was where Jesus, God says in First Peter, he says, I will katartidzo you. I'll put the pieces together. My own personal reading this morning, I was reading in Mark 1. And they were busy mending their nets. It's the same verb. The the net was no good if it had a hole in it because the fish would get through and they'd lose all the fish. So they sat down there and they mended the net to make it useful again. It is also used, though, outside of the Bible. That's how it's used in the Bible. It's also used outside the Bible of doctors mending broken bones. Um, Saw a dear young girl that's actually my second cousin the other day. I said, what happened to the arm? And she fell and broke her arm. Well, years ago, my dear daughter, I bought her roller skates for Christmas. 
And she came in on New Year's Day. I know that because I was watching ball games. Okay, she came on New Year's Day, and Daddy hurt my arm. So I said, let's go to the hospital. We're in the hospital all day. New Year's Day, number one. Number two is, a whole bunch of people were into roller skates that year. Some guy found a great deal in roller skates, so he bought a pair for himself as well as his kids. And then he went out there to try to show his son how well he could skate, you know, how he used to be able to skate. And he was there with a broken arm. But, but you know, here, my daughter's there with a broken arm, okay? I sit there all day. I say, Don, I love you. I'll be right back. And I rushed upstairs to see what the score of the ball games were. And then I came back down again. But later in the day, it was such a beautiful thing. The older doctor came in there. He took this cast and put it on her, on her arm, and then he squeezed it ever so gently. She winced a bit. But you know, today, if you asked her which arm was broken, she probably couldn't even tell you. Because he repaired it, you see, so that it would be useful again so that you cannot see the break. Now, that's the word that's used here. Now, just keep that in mind as you look at this, because you know what happens in the church so often? Somebody does something wrong on my friend. We we just open the sore up big time. We gossip about it. We spread stuff about it. We destroy their lives instead of healing their lives. And the responsibilities we're here to to mend them. Now it's interesting because mutual love, you see, involves us in the mending business. That's what the church is about. Now, now, I'll come back to that in a moment, because I want you to see something here. The command is here. Now, notice we're dealing with Christians here. Brethren, that's where it starts. We're brothers. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way, notice it's the household of God or the family of God in verse 10. Notice we're brothers and sisters in verse 1. This is a family situation. Now, notice what happens. So, brothers. Now, notice something. Biblical guidelines, even if a person is caught in any trespass. Now, this is a violation of what God says not to do. Not a violation of what you say not to do, what he says not to do. Okay? Notice something else in this passage. It is dealing with biblical restrictions, you see. You have to catch them doing it. Oh, my goodness. I've had it. Somebody calls up and says, Pastor, I just want to share with you a prayer concern. I'm not sure this is true, but sister so-and-so told me that brother so-and-so said that sister so-and-so said that, you know, this might have happened, see. You know, all you do, you just start this long train of stuff going on here, see. There are more people who have been destroyed in ministry by people who destroyed them, not on the basis of what they actually did, but on the basis of what they perceived that they might have done. It's amazing how God will reveal sin in God's own time. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to sneak around. I'll tell you that with regard to your children too, my friend. I'll leave that go. You can do what you want with that one, but be careful. Cash them. But notice something else in here. It's dealing with a biblical outlook. Any trespass. Any trespass. Any. Hear me carefully. Any trespass. Okay? I'm going to look at the text because I'm going to tell you what it is. Tinny. Any, 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 hear me, any, okay? Not just a list of what you think is acceptable to heal, but any trespass. By the way, I was up doing a conference years ago in Northern California. A man started having an affair. His kids were, two daughters were older. They were in their early 20s. He started having an affair with a woman. The wife told me the story. 
More people told me to leave him, but I was determined I wouldn't leave him. And she says, well, one thing we learned, when you're in the middle of something like this, nobody can stop it till it's run the cycle. It just can't do it. And so she says, I waited. I waited. I waited. So God got hold of his soul and God restored their marriage. And today they're helping young couples so they won't get into the mess that they got into. Any trespass, my friend. I must move on. Notice something else with this. Dealing with biblical qualifications. Uh, you who are pastors. do No, 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 no. You who are elders. No, 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 no. You who are spiritual. How do I know who is spiritual? Go back with me, if you will, to chapter 5, verse 22. If you have love... You can deal with this. If you have joy, you can deal with this. If you have peace, you can deal with this. If you have patience, oh, if you have patience, you can deal with this. If you have gentleness, you can deal with this. Why? Go back, if you will, to verse 1. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Only spiritual people can do this. And my friend, if you're not a spiritual person, if you're not manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, my friend, then you don't belong in this healing business. Notice something else with this. The biblical responsibility is restore them, heal them, heal them. We're a hospital, my friend. We're here to heal. We're here to heal. That's what we're here to do. One of the exciting things to me, there's a young man, very gifted athletically. Only one game ever he played in. He played with a broken bone in that game and they lost. It's the only game they ever lost in all of his high school, all the way. Every football game he ever played, only game they ever lost. Gifted academically. Went through Christian schools all the way up. Got his degree in a Christian institution in psychology, so he knew the Bible, knew all that kind of good stuff. And then after graduating with his degree like that, he went off and got involved in drugs. And for 15 years, he was hooked on drugs. I sit in the prison, putting my hand in the plastic key on the other side and so forth. I've been in rehabilitation centers with him, all kinds of stuff. Then, a few Christmases ago, I was preaching in a church. And he was there. And God had healed him. And I walked to the back after I hadn't seen him in years. He's a huge guy. He walked out, and we hadn't seen each other since he was healed, and they took me in his arms and hugged me and began to weep. Then after we let go, and then he hugged me again and began to weep again. You know, the big part of life is, is being a part of the restoring of broken lives. That's what we're about. So let's not talk about love as something way out there. Somewhere. This is the practical stuff that heals broken lives. I must move on. Notice this, though. There's a caution here. It's an interesting caution. He's still speaking to the spiritual people. But you know what he does? He, he personalizes now to the singular as opposed to the plural. Each one looking to himself, lest you too be tempted. Now, you know, there's a caution here. Command and a caution with each one of these. And this caution is so important. So many of us looking to somebody else, and the trouble is we don't assess ourselves. I, I don't talk about people I hear have fallen into sin much. I, I won't discuss it. It isn't the kind of thing. It's, it, people love to gossip about this kind of stuff. It bothers me. But when I hear that somebody, especially somebody in ministry, has fallen into sin or been unfaithful and so forth, first thing I do is examine my own soul. That's what I do. That's what I do. Start with that because, my friend, listen to me. 
I've washed it too often. Been in ministry a long time, and I've washed too many people. Good, good friends. People I would never feel would walk this path. And let me just tell you something. Take heed to yourself, lest you too be tempted. I must move on. That's the caution. Notice, if you will, the next one. Okay, the next one. Notice the word is to bear. I mean, it's nice. It rhymes and everything. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Now, when it comes to that, that's the second thing we do. Now, one of the things important in this passage, look at it carefully, because... The burdens are undefined. It doesn't say what the burdens are. They can be burdens of sin. They can be burdens of sorrow. They can be burdens of suffering. They can be burdens of finances. And my friends, some of us, we see people suffering and we say, you know, that's okay. I'll just, you know, no, 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 no. Listen, my friend, it's not enough to put up with them. You must get underneath and bear them. You must step into the lives of people and be a part of the bearing process to get them through to the other side. I've been through some hurting times in life. Now I tell you, a lot of times I have not had too many people come alongside. So one day is a tough time for me. I'm at home and my wife comes in the room and she says, someone on the phone for you. And I says, tell him I'll call back. She says, it's Chuck Swindoll. I says, I'll talk to him. I didn't have much dealing with Chuck Swindoll over the years. But see, nobody else close to me took time to call, but he called me. He says, I understand you're hurting. And I just want to tell you, I'm praying for you. I've talked to him in public settings. I've never talked to him privately except that one conversation. That's what he said to me. You see, the nice part of it is, isn't enough, you see, to just say, oh, it's a shame they're going through this. No, my friend, you come alongside and you get underneath and you help them bear the burden. That's what you do. Now, I must move on to this because... Notice what he says, and thus you fulfill the law of Christ. Now the law of Christ is back, if you will, to verse 14. For the of chapter 5, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ, the law of love. And you see, the only way you fulfill it is when you bear the burdens of other people. But now, I want to take you to the caution. You can miss the caution. Because you read, if anyone thinks he's something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each man examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. Okay, let, let, me, let me first of all start with let each one bear his own burden. Or let, let, me, let, let each man examine his own work. You know the trouble it is, and then, and it says, an interesting part of this, okay? That he's not examined his own work. The reason for boasting regarding himself alone, not regard to another. The word another is another of a different kind. You know the trouble. <clears throat> Many of us, uh, we examine ourselves and the trouble is we compare ourselves with other people. And we want to be like somebody else. Some guy who stands up strong and never has a problem. We want to be like him, see. We don't know, but he's hurting so badly underneath, see. The trouble is we compare ourselves with people and they're not like we are. We're unique. We are unique. And you see, we've got to stop this comparing game. My sister-in-law told me she used to be a part of a group years ago and she'd share how her marriage, you were going through stuff and everybody else, they'd say nothing. And she says, I thought they had the perfect marriages. I'm watching the marriages fall apart one after another and ours is still together. 
See, you think everything's together. It is not together. You think some guy has it together and he doesn't have it together. You think some lady has it together and she doesn't have it together. See, because you're not looking at your own life, you're comparing yourself with somebody else. And you need to stop that. You need to stop that. But the other part, if you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. What has that got to do with this passage? It's huge. I told you I was raised in this missionary home, and I, I got I, I, I did. It was, it was unfair treatment, no doubt. It wasn't that I'm a perfect kid. Uh-uh-uh-uh. I got, I mean, for long periods of time, I got spanked every night, period. Um, just how it went. Put to bed early. Given, they were trying to get at me, but it's okay. I guess that's what makes me strong because I wasn't going to let them get the best of me. And I was only six and seven years old. But you know what? I came out of that determined nobody would ever hurt me again. It was, it was settled when I was six to eight years old. Wasn't going to anybody hurt me. I started out in the ministry. and You couldn't hurt me if you tried. You can say, Pastor, terrible message. Wouldn't do a thing. I mean, I made sure that there was, it just wouldn't go through. I wasn't going to let it go through. Wasn't going to let it go through. And then I remember somebody making a statement so clear. You see, if you harden yourself from being hurt by somebody, you will also harden yourself from being, by being, from being helped by somebody. And it's true. See, because as much as you could say something negative, you could say something positive, it wouldn't do anything either, because that barrier was there that just wasn't going to let you get through. It wasn't going to let you get through. I wasn't going to be hurt again. Now, I'm I'm different today. I will to be different because of this passage. I I don't let hurt destroy me, but I tell you, I, I get hurt. People look at me and they think I stand like this and you know nothing phases and more phases me. It hurts me. I determined to let it hurt me. Because you see, if I don't hurt my hope myself up to feel the hurt, I will never open myself up to feel the help of other people either. See, I thought I was something. When I was nothing. See, I thought nobody get through because, see, I was tough. No, listen to me. The only person you deceive when you realize, when you think somehow, I don't need anybody else. They need me, but I don't need them. Let me tell you what happened. I pray before class. I spent a long time praying before class. I have all these years. But one day in class, is it Talbot? Two guys used to say, I call them bookends. They're on the other either side of the aisle like this in the back. And one day, one of them puts up his hand. I know his name to this day. I'll never forget him. And that's almost 30 years ago. He puts up his hand. He says, Professor, we appreciate the fact you pray for us, but have you nothing for which we can pray for you? Uh, We never prayed so fast ever in a class. You think at that age I was young, my first years of teaching in seminary on the side of the ocean, you think I would open up and become vulnerable? Not a chance. But I've changed. I have shared some of the hardest things for me. One day I was in a class, it was an evening class, and going to four, I guess, and I started to pray. When I got done, I said to them, I apologize. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'm hurting today, worse than I've ever hurt. And I tell you what, I just want to tell you, because I'm being unfair to you not to share with you. 
I didn't tell them. My son was away from home and had been gone for a week. I got home that day and he wasn't there. No, actually, I got home that day and he was there. And I came in and put my face next to his face because he can grow whiskers better than I can and he was young then but I put my face next to his he got out of the chair and we got there and we hugged and we wept he was my wife couldn't feed him enough he hadn't eaten for a week except for a cup of coffee somebody gave him But you see, it was that sense of being able to say to somebody, I'm hurting and I'm willing to tell you I am. If you think you're so tough and you need nobody, my friend, the only person you're deceiving is you because we all know better, okay? We all know better. I must leave that quickly because. Notice the passage here, though. The statement is interesting. He then says in the passage down here, but each one shall bear his own load. Let me tell you about this just quickly, because interest is a different word, but it's a very fascinating statement he adds in here. There's some things you know that nobody else can bear with you. That's just true. There are some personal things you're dealing with that nobody else can deal with. You, you have to walk through some things alone. There just is that. But my friend, the majority of things in life, there's not. I must move on. The, the next one here is interesting because... I want to go to the next one, just, just bypass this. Okay, the command, share. Look at this word. Let the one who has taught the word share. So we saw repair in verse 1, bear in verses 2 to 5, and share in verses 6 and following. Don't, it's not a separate context, the same. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. And then here's the caution. Do not be deceived. Be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. One who sows to his flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, now, when you deal with this, it's interesting because the general principle has to do with ministry. I can say it here, see, because I'm not here, see. But see, those who minister the Word to you, you need to share with them. This is physical, tangible stuff. Um first pastor we were in somebody tried to get you know invite me to this thing where they're selling waterless cookware so they come by my house to try and sell it to me on Saturday night see I have a prayer meeting on Saturday night and I said I gotta get this prayer meeting as we all did every Saturday he says I can save you money I said I don't think you can she said how much do you spend a week in groceries I said seven bucks she packed up her cans and her pans and left okay um we just didn't have the money. But there was a dear lady. Her husband was unsaved. And whenever he got some more deer, he gave us the old deer. Whenever he caught some more fish, he gave us the old fish out of the freezer. By the way, one day he was walking through the garage. Unsaved man, right? He's got his dinette set, tied the ceiling, and the rope broke when he was underneath. It came down and knocked him out. As soon as he came to, he said to his wife, You think Don and Pearlie need a table? See, he not only gave us the food, he gave us a table to eat on, see? No, listen to me. I've watched people share over the years. I love to give. I have a hard time taking. Oh, I give like you wouldn't believe. But I have a hard time taking. So one man one day in the church, he came by to, he says, I'll bring a backhoe into this. I was going to fill it in by hand. He says, now let me bring a backhoe. I didn't know. Boy, it was amazing what he did. 
got that stuff done no time. Then he hauled all the junk away in his dump truck. And I said, what are you? And he says, Pastor, you've paid me a hundred times over already. He taught me something. I share with you about the man who repaired cars for me. When I wouldn't go over and he said, how come you haven't? I said, because I don't like to see people taking advantage of you. And he said to me, and I thought you were my friend. He taught me. He taught me how to take when it's tough for me to take. But, but hear me carefully because in this passage we've taken this out of context. This is, and it's, it's basically has to do with people of ministry. People who minister to you share with them. And, and that's an exciting thing to do. But hear me find the principle even goes beyond that. It isn't a, it isn't a tit for tat. I owe you something so I'm going to pay you back. No, my friend. But when God blesses you by somebody, be a source of blessing them as well. Now, I, I need to go on because my time is going to run and I, I got to do this. But walk with me here. Um, the caution, see. God's not mocked, okay? Don't, don't think, you see. You're holding on to what you have. Let go of what you have, my friend. If you primarily focus on taking care of yourself, you be careful. But if you focus on taking care of others, my friend, God will take care of you. God is no man's debtor, my friend. Just, just I'll tell you what, be free to give and God will give to you. He just will. It's how God does. But now I need to bring you to the conclusion of this. When are we to do this? Notice the statement. I bring you back down to this passage in verse 10. Whenever you have an opportunity, listen to me, my friend. When God brings something into your life, don't think you can wait till tomorrow. My friend, operate today when God brings a need into your life. Be there. See, as God who opens a door, you will see a man on the side of the road. Be there for him. That's the Good Samaritan story, see? It is that kind of a thing. Just understand, whenever opportunity comes, understand it's God who did it. We saw this in Romans 10, you see. You see, then the the question comes here. Why? Notice, in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. That's a great thing. You know what? Some of you have been giving of yourself to others, and sometimes you just get discouraged and say, I'm quitting. Don't, Don't quit. Don't quit. You see, people don't appreciate it. Don't quit. I don't see any fruit from it. Don't quit. You see, in due time, this is an eschatological truth, we shall reap if we do not grow weary in doing good. Let me just tell you a story in conclusion. Interesting story. I'm from Vancouver, as you may have heard. Born there. In 1954, we have the alternate years. You have uh, Olympics one year, and then two years later, we used to have the British Empire Games. So in the early 50s, it was held, 54, it was held up in Empire Stadium that was built for that occasion in Vancouver. The big, big, big deal was the marathon that was coming up because there was a guy there, Jim Peters, and the guy was good. I heard this story, by the way, from people who were there. And since then, I've, I've, I've been affirmed by people who were there who saw this. So it was a big write-up. Jim Peters was just that good at a marathon. And, and I would say, I've run in them. And, and when you're doing these marathons, you know, if you beat it by a few seconds a day, they laud you. This man was so good that as he went around the course, he was coming to the stadium. He was minutes ahead of the world record. He was that fast. 
friends of mine, in fact, a relative who was in the stadium at the time, says that when Peters came around and he'd run his 20, almost 26 miles, he had to just come into the stadium. There was a slight ramp that the vehicles went up to, you know, emergency vehicles. And then there was a lap around. It was on cinder track. I can show you the scars on my knees from cinder tracks, but it was on cinder tracks. And, and he had to run around this lap once, you see, in front of the people, and then he would end the race, and nobody was close. No one's anywhere close. So everybody knew it was a world record. So as he came to the stadium, they all stood as one person began to cheer and to yell because they were seeing history being made. He started up the ramp into the stadium, and as he started up, he could have run a flat ground a lot longer, but he started up that ramp, he fell. Couldn't get him back up again. He started to crawl. He got out in the stadium, and now he's crawling on the cinder track. And then when he couldn't do it that way, he turned himself over on his back and started pushing with the cinders cutting into the back of his head. By this time, the only noise in the stands are people who are stifling the tears that they feel as they watch this man trying to make it. He's got all the time in the world, but he just can't go. And finally, one of his handlers came and threw a towel over him, and the race was concluded. The next day, people are clamoring. He came within just a lap of finishing ahead of everybody, winning a world record time. And you see, they said you need to give him something. No, my friend, if you don't finish the race, no matter how well you run, there is no reward. I didn't hear about the sequel to the story till later because it was a Scottish fellow running in the same race. Somewhere around Burnaby, he just, he'd had it. And if you've been, you know what it's like when you're in a marathon. It's just a long, long thing. And he came to one place where he ran right through a hedge and landed on a lady's front lawn. And he just decided to collapse and stay there because he was through. The trouble is he was Scottish. And the trouble was the lady who owned the house was Scottish. And she walked out and she sees the Scottish lads lying in the, in the yard and she says, what are you doing? He says, I'm quitting. She says, you're a, yeah. she looked at him and she says, you're a Scot and you never give up. Boy, he jumped to his feet. All he could hear the whole way around, you're a Scot and you never give up. You're a Scot and you never give up. He had no idea what place he was coming in. All he knew, he was a Scot and he wasn't going to quit. He came to the stadium and the same response came to him for, in fact, he was the winner of the race only because he remembered he was a Scot and he never, dare not give up. Listen to me. You're a child of God and you dare not give up. As you have opportunity, do what is beneficial to all men for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Father, we all grow weary. And we so often want to quit. Cause us to keep on going. Cause us to show the expression of our love to each other by the power of your Holy Spirit. Cause us to be those who are spiritually repairing the lives of broken people. Cause us to be those who stand up under the needs of others and help them bear their burdens and understand that we need them to help us as well. Cause us to be those who share with others sacrificially, understanding that you are the one who will reward us as we do so. Help us, our Father, to do this whenever we have opportunity. And may we never quit for your glory, our Father, and for the good of your church, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.